Amen. Well, I'm not going to do a PowerPoint. I'm just going to, uh, you can pull up uh, uh, on your smartphones or tablets, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk to you about, you know, uh, this Easter Sunday, that after 2,000 years, how many know it's still good news? Amen. When you think of it, it's still good news. And, and I just want to talk to you about that and, and, and uh, the resurrection. And as a pastor, I've had um, almost 30 years of doing Easter's and Good Friday services. And, you know, and as pastors, we, we kind of struggle, try to get that message, you know, each year. And, or, you know, a lot of pastors, they want to wow everyone. Wow, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't ever know or hear that before. And listen, it's still good news reading what it says in the Bible. <clears throat> and so the Lord wants me to tell you this morning, it's still good news, and we're just going to read what's in the Bible. How's that sound? First <clears throat> Corinthians 15. Hopefully you'll have a wow today. I don't know. Now, brothers, I want to remind you and sisters <clears throat> of the gospel I preached to you, which we received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I pass unto you, as of first importance, right here, the nutshell, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. <clears throat> then he appears to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. His eyewitness here of the, of the account. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times we forget things. How many remember what you ate last Wednesday? <laughs> we forget. And even in this message, in this moment, you're going to hear some things and walk out of here. And, and, and just as human nature, we forget. And that's why we need to continue to tell the story. How many know that the Apostle Paul, he never forgot that encounter on the road to Damascus. It so imprinted his mind. After 12 years, he pens this, he writes this, and he talks about the gospel. You know, when I think about remembering, I think about Church for the Harvest, we started back in 2000. And <clears throat> we were in our living room over on Lake Mary and with a handful of people, some of which are still here, praise God. Some moved to heaven and, and, and we moved forward and, and, and we were at the tech school for, for a few years and, and then we moved to Discovery Middle School. We did Church on the Wheels. I mean, though, that was fun. 30 below, grabbing a mic stand out of a trailer. Amen. <clears throat> some of you help with that. And then we secured this facility in 2006 and uh, I thought we'd be out of here a lot sooner. <clears throat> but here we are, uh, 15 years later, still here. But we're moving forward. Amen. And so I remember. I remember actually the first meeting. <clears throat> I remember the first message. Because I was a little intrepid. I was about 35 years old. And, and I came out of the bedroom, and there was the living room. There was the church right there. <laughs> so I walked out, and as I was praying, and, and the place was packed and in the little room. <laughs> so it was packed. And I talked on God's righteousness. And I just remember that, 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 that message and botching it and saying things I didn't mean. I still do that today. <clears throat> and the sound people have to help me out. But uh, how, many, how many remember 9-11? Do you remember where you were at then? It's burned in your mind and your heart. And some of you even, the, the economic collapse, the fall, 2008, banks and housing and 
that's impacted you. So do you remember that? That was impactful. And, <clears throat> and so I remember it. I go back, and the Bible talks about it's important for us to remember what God has done in our life. Can you say amen? And so this, this Saul, who became Paul, he hated Christians, and so he recounts his life, how, he, how Jesus appeared to him on that Damascus road, and he was on his way to kill Christians. Think about that. He is on his way to go kill Christians. Hmm. And, and, and so the gospel writers, all of them, they make reliable witnesses because all of them but one, John, they died for their faith. Now, here's the thing. How many know you're not going to die for what you know to be a lie is? You may believe a lie and die for that, but you're not going to go to the grave believing a lie and die for that. And all of them, come on, amen, that's the truth. And, and all of them died for what they believed, for what they saw. The risen Christ. Can you say amen? So I just want to talk to you this morning about the good news of Easter, how it's, it's still good news after 2,000 years. And I just want to get to the point. I feel like that chicken that decided to lay an egg on the California freeway. The rooster said, here's how you do it. You lay it on the line and you do it in a hurry. So I'm going to do it in a hurry. All right? It's a beautiful day out there. And I want to enjoy that sun. Amen? But this is a beautiful moment right now. Amen? It's still good news. Number one, God the Father, watch this, loves you. And Jesus Christ, his son, died for you. That is good news. How amazing is that? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty one, the God of the universe, loves you. And his son willingly went to the cross for you. Very familiar scripture, John chapter 3. Verse 16. Most everyone in here could probably quote that. We go to car races or we go to rodeos or whatever. Someone's out there with a John 3.16 sign, eh? <clears throat> or whatever, a fair. For God so loved the world. I remember just, I was on vacation and, and uh, we were on the beach in Jacksonville. And there was a ton of people that were out there and some kid gets up. He was nervous. He started preaching to the people on the beach. So the people moved their chairs and listened and he went and talked to. And the gospel is being spread everywhere. But are we listening? I said, are we listening to the truth of God's word? God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, here's the thing. That message gets preached, especially up here in Minnesota, that God loves you and he died for you. And then you go, okay, great. How does that affect my life? You move on. You must be converted. Amen. Did you hear that? You need to be born again. So some of you have been hearing this your whole life. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. But it didn't do much for me. And you don't have that assurance of salvation. you got to open your mouth. Come on. Somebody shall open your mouth. You have to receive Christ. It's called conversion theology. It's in the Bible. If you confess with your mouth, come on, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised. So most people, they never do that. They just, they hear it, they hear it, and walk their life. I don't get this whole Christian thing. You got to open your mouth. God's not going to force himself upon you. Amen. He loves you. You have, you're a free will agent. You, you have this life to choose him or reject him. Here's the thing. No decision is a decision. Oh, amen. 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 I'm preaching better than you're responding and even speaking. So, you know, when I think about this, about God loves you, and, and some of you know, have been here a while. I, I, I've been studying this year about North Korea. I think that's, that's hell on earth right here in North Korea. 
And I'm actually reading another book now called Escape from Camp 14, where this young boy, Shin dong Hyuk, he actually was born in, fathered in a prison camp, and he eventually escaped. And when I think about this thing about love, and I read, I, I read I'll just read a couple of captions from it very quickly. And, uh, you know, it is, it is crushing in this life to not feel loved. It's crushing. It's, it's, it's the worst someone can experience. And, and this boy had that. He was born in a concentration camp in Camp 14, one of the most terrible, terrible camps, all of them there in, in North Korea, which the North Korean government denies. They don't even exist, but we can see them in, 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 on, on, on satellite imagery. And he escapes, and, and he was actually a snitch. He grew up in there in, in, the, in the camp, and uh, his mom and his brother, they just despised him. They, even his mom and his brother, they wanted nothing to do with him. And he'd come home and wouldn't have any food. He'd eat a little food. She would beat him because he ate the food and they didn't have much. And, and, and so there was this, this, so he was a snitch. He would rat it out anybody. And uh, it actually got a point where he overheard, this, this, this is a giveaway in the book, but he overheard his mom and his brother saying how they're going to escape. They got to get out of here because they're going to die, die of starvation. So he goes and snitches. And you know what they do? They, they torture him for a while. They bring the mom and the brother out to a field with the father. And after they tortured him for about three months, they bring him out in a field and they put a loose on the mom's neck and then they shoot the, his brother right in front of him. He, he's told to lift up, watch this. And while his mom is being hung, she's looking at him and she dies. That's, talk about pain. And he says this in the introduction. He said, I never heard the word love. Never. He says this. He said, love, mercy, family were words without meaning to him. He goes on, he said, God did not disappear or die. He said, Shin had never heard of him. Can you imagine that? This was just a 10 years ago in North Korea, never even hearing about who Jesus Christ is. Friends, God loves you, and Jesus came to willingly die at the cross to purchase salvation for you and I. Can somebody say amen? Now, I'm going to share a story right here. It's a few paragraphs long. I know it's a little, but it, it's, it's a very powerful story. And I know you're not supposed to use the word hate in church, but I totally despise this story. And I have heard this over 30 years of my life, maybe about four to six times I've heard preachers preach it, and they use it, and I despise this story. I could never share this story because it bothers me so much. Even now, when I share this, this story affects me. It's a true story. It's a true story. It really happened. And some of you may have heard it in some meeting or somewhere preached, but I've never been able to share it. And any time I would hear it, I would just get angry. I would look away and I would just say, nope, I know what I would do in that situation. And after I'm done, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you will feel this. But this story now at 56 years old, and I look about it and we're empty nesters and our kids are out and praying someday they come home in Jesus' name. It's on Facebook Live. I just despise the story, but now at this point when I read it and, and, and I hear it, I'm gonna, this is the first time I have ever shared the story. Some of you have heard it, but some of you have not, but it just, it affects me. It affects me, but it's a true story. Following true story gives us a modern day parallel on how much Jesus loves you. So when I say the statement, friends, Jesus loves you, it may not have much meaning in your life. For some of you, it does. I'm going to say that again after this story, and hopefully that'll change your thinking. 
It took place in 1937. John Griffith had been born and raised in Oklahoma. The state had turned into a swirling dust bowl during the Great Depression. So he had packed up his wife and baby boy and their meager belongings in their old car, and they'd driven away for greener pastures. He thought he had found them on the edge of the Mississippi. We had got a job caring for one of those huge railroad bridges and, that crossed the mighty Mississippi. When his son Greg Griffith was eight years old, <clears throat> John brought him to work for the, for the first time to see what Daddy did all day. The little boy was wide-eyed excitement and he clapped his hands with glee when the huge bridge went up at the beck and call of his mighty father. 12 o'clock came and his father put up the bridge. No trains were due for a good while. They went out a couple hundred feet on the catwalk to an observer, or observatory deck over the river. They sat down and they, they opened up a brown bag and began to eat their lunch. Time whirled by and suddenly they were drawn back to reality in the shrieking of a distant train whistle. John Griffin quickly looked at his watch and he saw that it was time for the, the 7 Memphis Express, which would be whisk, whisking 400 passengers across that bridge in just a couple of minutes. He knew they had just enough time, so without panic, but with swiftness, he told his son to stay here where he was. He leaped to his feet, jumped up the catwalk, ran back, climbed up the ladder into the control room, went in, put his hand on the huge lever that controlled the bridge, looking up at the river and down to see if there any were bo any bolts were coming, as was his custom, and then he looked down to see if beneath the bridge. And suddenly, he saw a light that froze his blood, and it caused his heart to leap into his throat. His eight-year-old son, Greg, his boy, had tried to follow him to the control room and had fallen to the huge gearbox that had a monstrous gear that operated the massive bridge. His left leg was caught between the two main gears, and the father knew that if he pushed that lever, his son would be ground in the midst of eight tons of steel. His eyes filled with tears of panic. His mind swirled and whirled. What am I supposed to do in this moment? He saw a rope there in the control room. He could rush down the ladder, out the catwalk, tie off the rope, lower himself down, rescue his son, climb back up on the rope, run back to the control room, lower the bridge. No sooner has his mind done that exercise than he knew that there was not enough time. He never made it. and There were 400 people on the train fast approaching that bridge. Suddenly, he heard the whistle again, this time startling closer. He could hear the clicking of the locomotive wheels on the track and the rapid puffing of the train. What could he do? What could he do? There were 400 people, but this was, this was his son. This was his only son. He was the father. What could he do? But then he knew what he had to do. So he buried his head in his arm, and he pushed the gear forward, and that great bridge slowly lowered into place just as the express train roared across he lifted up his tear-smeared face and looked straight into the windows of the train as they flashed by one after another after another. He saw men reading the afternoon paper, doctor in uniform looking at a large lady sipping tea out of teacups, little children pushing along, spooked into plates of ice cream, put into the control room. Nobody saw his tears. In heart-wrenching agony, he beat against the window of the control room and he said, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you people? Don't you care? I sacrificed my son for you. Don't anybody care? Nobody looked. Nobody heard. 
Nobody heeded, and the train disappeared across the river. Even now, as I tell that story, it still affects me and my emotions. This is but a faint glimpse of what Jesus did to atone for the sins of the world. Friends, Jesus loves you. Unlike the Memphis Express, however, an express that caught John Griffith by surprise, God in his great love, thank God, according to his sovereign will and purpose, determined to sacrifice his one and only son that we might have eternal life, that eternal life might be possible if we repent and believe the good news, that penalty of sin wiped away. Can somebody say amen? But here's the thing. Not only is that perfect love of Christ demonstrating that Jesus, he wasn't caught off guard. Jesus was not like accidentally stuck as John's son was. Rather, the Bible says, this is so amazing, Jesus willingly sacrifices life for the sins of mankind, for you and for me. Can you say amen? Jesus gave up his life willingly, willingly. He placed, they placed the, his remains in a tomb outside of Jerusalem and with a, a, a message for us of all of unspeakable love. Friends, God loves you and Jesus Christ died for you and me. The second thing is God loves you in the face of your failures. Someone needs to say amen to that. <laughs> Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the 2021 interpretation of that. While you were hateful, while you and I were indifferent, while we were rebellious, come on somebody, amen, while we were disobedient, while we were blasphemers, while we were indifferent to the things of God, didn't care even about God, while you were reeked in your sin, God loves you in spite of your failures. Man, that's good news. That is good news, amen? And 41 years of being a believer, I was saved at 15, of knowing Jesus, all my shortcomings, fallings, mistakes. I've, I've come to know and, and coming more to know how much God the Father loves me and how much God the Father loves you also. Amen. So here's the thing. God the Father, he loves us, but here's the thing. This is hard for even a lot of people. It's very hard for me. He doesn't just love us. He likes you. That's a whole different spin, isn't it? <laughs> it's one thing to say, well, I would lo love you. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. But no, does God, he likes you. Hmm. He likes you. And why? We see that by revelation that's based on what the Bible says. And that's hard for, for some of you to accept that, yeah, I, Jesus loves me. Yeah, but does he like me? If he, if, he if he really knew, well, friends, he does know. <laughs> he does know. He knows everything about you. But he still likes you. Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn it, but to save it. Okay? And all your sins, shortcomings, fallings, all of that, in the midst of that, he died for you. Well, you didn't even love him. That is amazing news. You know, I've really worked hard in my past to get God to like me. And, and even as a, as, as a new believer, <clears throat> uh, it was a season I, I built a 10-foot cross. And uh, I actually, I routed on it, Jesus saves. And the other side, I routed on it, you know, God loves you. And I would carry a cross and I was spit upon. I was had, held at knife point. I had bottles thrown at me. I had, uh, 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 you know, people throw urine at you. And it's just disgusting things. And, 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 you know, to me, it was just like, well, I'm being persecuted for the Lord. But, but there was this inside thing of like, there was this works mentality. 
How many hear what I'm saying? I wanted Jesus to like me. I knew he loved me, but did he like me? So I'm going to do really good so he can like me. Can I get an amen in this place? And some of you are on that religious treadmill, and, and let me tell you something, that gets tiring. <clears throat> Why? Because you know what? I actually think God does the fall, and, 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 and we stumble, <clears throat> and then we repent, and we draw near. He goes, I love you still. I love you still. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, it's hard for you to get God to like you. And that's actually the fruit of self-righteousness. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's defined by yourself. And self-righteousness becomes its own form of religion. And, and I don't want to spend time on that. But number three, uh, God's power is available to you. Power to raise you up. Romans 8.11 says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead... Living in you is living in you who raised Christ in life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. What a powerful verse. So God's power is available to raise you up. When you're born again, that power comes within your life so you can live this life. But watch this. God's power is still available in to heal you, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? Spirit, soul, and body. Now, I'm going to read a quick story here because I'm almost, almost done. Uh, it's actually from the Tahoe Daily Tribune, dated November 3rd, 2006. And so I don't like just to read stuff off. I like to verify it, all right? Because how many know it's hard to find truth today other than the Word of God? <laughs> Amen? You know, I'm going to Google something, really? Who, who, put, who posted that? And so I actually contacted the Tahoe Tribune and emailed Mr. Rob Galloway, the publisher. He actually responded back to me. I have the email. And this is what he said about this story. So I'm just in fairness. This, uh, are we uh, and out here? Do I need to grab another, another mic? Which mic? Give me the handheld, if you would, dear love. Thank you. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you. So I contacted him, and he responds. He said, no searches on the website came back pertaining what you indicated, because I also looked too. But he said, hard copy archives are socked away in the press faculty in Carson City and not readily accessible. In other words, it's put away. <laughs> so I'm going to read this story, because I think it's a powerful story. I believe it's true, and it's about his wife who writes this about a gentleman named Bill Kuzak's Miracle Healing by Esther Kuzak. She says, many of you know that my husband has been extremely ill since 1998. So this was back in 2006 or eight years later. He, un he uh, watch this. He said he underwent a quadruple heart bypass that eventually failed. He had pancreatitis, heart failure, high blood pressure, post-traumatic stress disorder, kidney failure. It goes on hepatitis C, and a host of other health problems. Several times over these last nine years, doctors have told me it would have been just a matter of time before he would die. He was only 59 years old. On August 10th of 2006, hospice of the lake was called to help us care for Bill because he had declined, his health was declining. On September 1st, we could not give him pills anymore because his tongue and throat were swollen shut. We started him on liquid morphine. Bill's lips were blue. His skin was gray. His blood pressure was 53 over 30. All of his normal bodily functions had stopped. All I could do was try to keep him out of pain and pray for God's will to be done. Bill suddenly spoke out loudly. Get me out of this bed. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Typical 59-year-old man. Bill explained... He said, I was suddenly awakened from my coma by a very bright light. In a scripture, Psalms 118, verse 17, 
He said, popped into my mind, and it reads this. I shall not die, but I will live and declare the works of the Lord. Just then, it goes on to saying, he said, I had to get out of bed. I went to the bathroom. The nurse took his blood pressure. It had gone from 53 over 30 to 112 over 72, just like that. Today, Bill is totally healed. Bill no longer takes medications for heart failure, kidney failure, or pancreatitis. His lungs are clear. There is no more fluid around his heart. After Bill's healing, he saw an, uh, an internist, and he, he was amazed. It said, He said to us, this healing was neither my doing nor the hospice nurse. So this must be a God thing. Tahoe Daily Tribune, November 3rd, 2006. Friends, God's power is available to heal us today. Can you say amen? So the good news finally of Easter is that those who believe in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life. Eternal life. First Corinthians 6, 14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us up also. Stand with me if you would, please. You know, people don't like you talking about death. Uh, you know, if you don't believe me, just invite your friends over, sit them down, serve them pie and coffee, say, hey, let's talk about death. They're gone. <laughs> but it's interesting to me, as a baby boomer, <clears throat> that 78 million baby boomers have moved into middle age, and they say over 10,000 baby boomers a day are going into retirement. It's a lot. And all of a sudden, this is what they're finding out, they're becoming more interested in the thereafter, the life after death. U.S. News and World Report ran a cover article called The Rekindling of Hell. It says that, that Americans now more than ever believe in heaven and hell. Find that interesting. Why? Because people are wondering, what's going to happen when I die? And this is what I say when I talk about heaven and hell. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl that does not deal with their spiritual eternity until the last minute. Because you don't really know when you're going to go. Isn't that right? What a wonderful day, this Resurrection Sunday, for you to get right with God. Amen? You know, the Barner Institute, uh, they did a survey. They said that 33% of those who claim to be born again believe the way to heaven is to be good enough. It's like what I shared about earlier. That's self-righteousness. Be good enough. But God says, all have sinned and have fallen short of God's standard. The Bible commands us all. He says that we are to repent and believe the good news. Now, how many know repentance takes humility? Repentance takes humility. Every head bowed, please. We're good to pray this morning. See, humility is when you figure out you don't have it all figured out. That's what humility is. And once again, no decision about the good news is a decision. It's indifference. And you're putting something off that is so dire, so important, so vital for each and every one of our lives personally. You are a spirit man, a spirit woman. You have a, a, an eternal spirit that's going to live forever. And Christ now has provided a way. He has provided a way. So, well, Pastor, I've, I've believed my whole life, but nothing's really changing. Maybe your next step is confession in your mouth and inviting Christ into your life. That's good news. Humility is when you can say, I cannot control everything in my life, but God can. So I want to surrender it to him and let Jesus control my life. So the question this morning as I conclude, 
Are you willing, if you have not, to surrender your life totally to Christ Jesus? This is a quick story about a little boy. He was trapped inside a burning building. It's in their house. It's on the second floor. And all smoke, he's standing by the window. And the smoke enveloped the house. And his father was down below and screaming out his name. And he was saying, son, jump, jump, son. And the boy is crying in the smoke and he's coughing and tears. And the boy said, I can't see you, dad. Daddy, I can't see you. But his father responded, it's okay, son. I can see you. Jesus sees you right now. I said, Jesus sees you right now. You may not see him. You may not feel him right in this moment. You may not be experiencing anything just hearing these words in my voice. But these words, I believe, are the words of Jesus right now for those of you who don't know Christ. And Jesus is calling. And he's saying, take the step of faith. You may not see. You may not understand. That stone may be in front of your life. You have a lot of reasonings. But Jesus is saying, I see you. That's what matters. With every head bowed, you hear this morning, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to get right with God today. Today is a beautiful day. You're here this morning with every head bowed, and you say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. We're going to pray corporately here. Not here to embarrass anyone and single anybody out, but the truth of the matter is, this is the greatest message of all earth, of anything you can hear. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's still good news 2,000 years later. Pastor, pray for me. Join me if you would please. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, come into my life. Take control. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a worship, praise, clap offering. Amen. There's nothing more important I could say this morning than the message of the gospel of the good news. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to conclude the service and, and we have uh, some information up there for you. If you made a decision, don't leave here and go, wow, that was good. You know what? I accepted Christ. You need to get plugged in. You need to get plugged in. The Bible says that God has called each and every one of us to be plugged into a local church, wherever they may be. You may be visiting. You may attend to another church and, or, or not at all. I want to encourage you. If you don't have a local church, we welcome you to Harvest. We welcome you to Harvest. And, and we want to help you on your journey to equip you and your family and for your children's children. We're not looking just for temporary. We're looking for our kids, 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 kids. That's why we're building. We're looking generations to come if the Lord would tarry. Well, Jesus is coming back any moment. Yeah. Well, I'm 56. He hasn't come back yet. So we're going to keep moving forward. And when he comes, I'm going to go up and be ready. Amen. So to you. Amen. God bless you.